0: Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craig Avon, Ireland, and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Um, so, a couple of words that I want to, to stick in your psyche this morning that don't go away. So I have them on the board, all right? So I want to um, keep them before you. Are these two words, magnify and kingdom, all right? So that's them there, and then you can look at them. Magnify. Magnify. Oh, you're scary, people, when you're up close. Um, but there's something about magnifying the Lord. There's something about seeing Him bigger than all of the things that life throws at us, seeing us bigger, seeing Him bigger than, than, than all of the, the little things and the little foxes that sometimes the enemy. Sends in to trip us up and to and to so easily beset us. Uh, the writer, the Hebrews says. And so, um, what we've been doing is we've been talking about Mark's gospel, and and we've been excited about that. It's been a great series, and 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 what we did was we 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 talked right in the very first morning how Mark's gospel is divided almost in half, and the first eight chapters are literally all about the servanthood. So, so. Um, Mark's gospel has more miracles than messages. It's all, all about the servanthood of Jesus. That's why it's called the, the, the gospel of the servant, because Mark was a servant. And of course, he's relating the story from Peter and, and, and all of these stories that have happened in previous years. Mark is now penning them, and the first eight chapters are literally all about the servanthood of Jesus, all about his service as a king all about him healing diseases and, and, and casting out demons and all of that. So, uh, and this word here is a Greek word that appears 47 times in the gospel, the word "euthus," which is sort of all about, it's an action word. It's one of those words that is soon now, just about, it's, it's all. so Mark is is sort of giving you this sort of historic narrative on of all the action points of Jesus. So he's a very action-packed gospel and very, very powerful. It's divided, as I said, clearly into two parts. And we're going to delve into the second part in your little booklet that you got. If you have it, if you don't, it doesn't matter this morning. It's just a little short reading that I want to read. But in verse 29, the, the, right up at the top left-hand corner of verse 20, uh, page 29, the, the book changes. The book now goes into the second half. And so the first half's all miracles and miracles and miracles. Um, the second half <clears throat> is all about sacrifice. Jesus now, it goes down the Calvary road, and it's all about Jesus giving himself as a sacrifice for sinners. It's very powerful. Um, and if you look at the start of the I think it's verse 31 of chapter 8, it says, Jesus speaks about his sufferings and death. And so the last half of the book literally delves all in around that. All right, so it's really important that we understand this idea because uh, this is really important that we begin to magnify the Lord as our King because he is our King. And when we magnify him, we begin to see him bigger, and there's that verse that I quoted in Psalm 34, O oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. And so you could think this morning of some places where you could magnify Christ as king in your everyday life, in your home, in your work, in your neighborhood, in your family, in your personal circumstances, when difficult seasons come, when things change in your life, when when you get older, when maybe sickness comes your way or a loss of a job or something, how could we magnify the Lord? How could we see God in these things? Because it's really important that we have this idea that we magnify God. And it's really important that we have a kingdom theology. You see, Jesus, right throughout the Gospels, always talked about the kingdom. And if you just have a salvation theology, you'll see salvation as a ticket to heaven. But it's far more than that. All right, so we need a kingdom theology. And if you have a kingdom theology, then you begin to see Jesus in all things in all things. See, salvation theology, as I say, just gives you your passport to heaven. But kingdom theology helps you to begin to see Jesus in all things. So right at the end of time, in Revelation 21, whenever the world, whenever things are going mad and, and you read that massive, incredible book, 22 chapters at the end of her Bible and you, you see all the end times and all their predictions and even in the middle of all that, Jesus said... I am making all things new. That's the reason. And then there's that powerful passage three times over in Ephesians 1. God has put all things under the authority of Christ. Made him head over all things. He fills all things everywhere with himself. God wants to make all things new. And so it's important that we understand this. important that we grab this. And so what happens is Dave said this little phrase last week, if he's not Lord of all, then he's not Lord at all. And so we have this idea where we just make him, he's like Sunday go to meeting um, God, where we put him in, and and Christians are the worst at this, where we put things into little compartments, and that's in that compartment, and it really doesn't affect this compartment. And, And God says, no, 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 he's all things, in all things, so our lives begin to change when we come to faith in Christ and they begin to change in a very powerful way. And that's why over a hundred times in the Gospels alone, Jesus talked about the kingdom. He over and over and over again talked about the kingdom. He would say little things like the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is like. And so... Um, in this here, what he was talking about with his kingdom was he was referring to his rule. He was referring to his sovereignty. He was referring to his authority. He was referring to a rule amongst the people where he is king, where the characteristics of the king is realized. And in this way, the kingdom was not a new thing. We know that in Psalm 103, it talks about the kingdom, how the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. And so for the Jewish people, the kingdom of God was their hope of freedom. They, 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 they were looking their deliverance under Yahweh. Some of them still are to this very day. They were looking for a king who would come and liberate them. The Jews were were constantly being oppressed and conquered by other nations. When you read the scriptures for thousands of years, they've been oppressed by the Egyptians, by the Syrians, by the Babylonians, by the... Persians, by the Greeks, by the Romans all and all with just little brief periods of of independence but mostly they were under some kind of oppression and they longed for a day when their Messiah would come and liberate them from their enemies and God would bring total peace and restoration and in the Old Testament Hebrews they were were prophesying this this kingdom that would come and the problem was when it came they missed it because they were looking for they were looking for a, a conqueror. They were looking for a king with a sword and on a white charger that would come in and, and, and slaughter their enemies. And instead, this humble servant came and told them to love their enemies, to do good to those who despitefully use you. It was an upside-down way of thinking for them. They couldn't catch it on. And that's why John, when he writes, he says he came onto his own but his own did not receive him. They missed him. I read that sad little story sometimes about, I read that sad little story sometimes about Jesus coming in to Jerusalem on the donkey. And I think of it this way, this is the way my mind goes. I think how he would have come in and the, the, they would have been having their, their, their church meeting. And of course, all this, this commotion would have been going outside and some of the high priests would have said, somebody go out there and tell whoever that is and that donkey that we're trying to have church in here for dear sex or making a commotion and a noise out. They have no respect for our church. And they missed the Savior of the world. They missed the Savior of the world passing their front door. And so, because they were looking, and and so we need this idea of kingdom. We need to know that there's something beautiful in this. It wasn't based on performance, this kingdom, or working your way into something. It was based solely on love, love one another. For God so loved the world, and there's something so beautiful about that. I I did two weddings this week, and uh, one on Thursday and one on Saturday, and I was telling the story that I did a wedding not that long ago and sometimes I I do weddings for people and I don't really know the couples that I'm marrying very well because I know family members and and all of that And, and about a year ago or maybe about a year and a half ago I married... This little couple, and they were lovely and they, they sent me their wedding date and and, and I knew that their dad worked for me, and so it weren 't church connected really at all and, and I sent them the vows and 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 the girl sent me this lovely little email back, and she said to me she said to me, "Phil, uh, the vows all seem lovely, but do you have any non Christian vows and i I emailed back, and I said. Well sorry, no, I don't have any non-Christian vows. You say I'm a Christian minister and that's what I do. And and if you wanted just a civil wedding, you would just go to the civic center and you would just get a civil blessing there. But you know, and then I I said, I'm interested, why why do you want why do you want a church wedding? And and she emailed me back and she said, um, well my my granny. My granny's a Christian, you see, and and she said, if when you're getting married you have to do what I ask. My last request is that you get married in a, in a church. And I said, all right, okay. And, and she said, but my husband-to-be isn't a Christian, and I'm not a Christian, and, and our families, and, and we're just afraid that your vows will freak everybody out. And I said, well, I said, look, what did not tell you? What, what, about, what about us having a meeting? What about us getting a coffee? And I could explain to you why we do vows. She had would love that, so she comes in, and she she came into church and she says to me in in our foyer, she says, she goes like this here and she says, "This doesn't look like a church <laughs> and i said uh, I said to her, um, I said to her, Well, you said in your email you'd never been in a church before, so how do you know what one looks like <laughs> and uh, she had a bit of a giggle, and she said, well uh, it's not what what I'm saying, it's not what I supposed it to be like and I goes, "Well, it's probably not what You suppose it to be like, but I said, "Look, let's get a coffee and let's chat." And we got a coffee, and I said, "Do you know where vows came from? Do you know where marriage vows came from?" No, no idea. And I started to tell her the story of of Adam being getting created, and 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 how when he was naming all the animals, there was nobody fit for him, and and so God put him into a deep sleep, and then took a rib from his side and formed this beautiful creature. And when Adam woke up, he this. He did a cartwheel I think and and a Wilson and he was he was ecstatic. this guy he looks at it he goes oh, wow like it wasn't just bone of my bone flesh of my flesh I call her woman it was I think, I think it was I think he was excited and he and he's looking at hes god this is amazing this is incredible she doesn't look like an elephant at all she doesn't look like a monkey she doesn't look like a giraffe she's beautiful she's and, 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 and he's so excited about this and and of course he's going to get to live with her and be with her and and be one with her and then, and God says now, now Adam, a few instructions here. Um, this is the reason a man would leave his father and mother and cleave onto his wife, and they become one flesh. I said, that's, that's." so I said, here's the deal, when you're making your vows, you're not actually making your vows just for people to hear, you're making your vows to one another, but you're making a vows to the person that created them. Now by this time, tears are, tears are flooding down her face and she turns to her fiancé and says, did you know that? And he goes, no, I never heard that ever before. And she, she, this is what she said. This is with all emphasis. She says, We must make those vows. We must make those vows. With her two fists. And she made those vows. And, um, and there's something about magnifying. When you begin to see God bigger, you see, the devil has blinded the eyes of people and, and they, they've no longer magnified. They're no longer seeing God, who he is. You see, God is not just a big one of us, I say all the time. God is God. He's eternal in his being. We went to the planetarium on Friday and I hadn't been there from when I was a boy. And I was just lying back in that seat, looking up at those stars and planets and thinking, God, you are something else you are the real deal you, you created that with a word you said let there be and it was so for those of you that know you're not in here for anybody who believes in the big bang theory I believe in it as well God spoke and bang it happened <laughs> that is the incredible thing about our God he is amazing and so we've got to we've got to understand this, and I haven't a clue where I am with my notes. But forget about the notes. But so when Jesus came and, and he and he and he and he introduced his kingdom, he said something like he said, "The kingdom of God is like a grain of mustard seed, It's like a grain of mustard seed." And they're saying, "A grain of mustard seed? If you want to see a grain of mustard seed, you need a pair of them." You can't even see it with your naked eye for dear sex. How could the kingdom, how could something that you want to establish be as small as a grain of mustard seed? And then Jesus said, but it grows into the greatest tree of all you see. It becomes the most influential. He said, the, you see, the kingdom of God, he says, is like a, is like a farmer who, who went out to hire some workers. And he hires and he goes out at nine o'clock in the morning and he says to the guy, would you come and work in my field? And the guy says, I'm looking at day's work. He says, okay, a penny for a day. The guy says, no problem, penny for a day. He goes out at 12 o'clock. He realizes there's more work to be done than what these can do. And he finds some more people out and he goes, would you come and work in the field for the rest of the afternoon? They said, what's the wage? He says, a penny. Great. Goes out at five o'clock, quitting time, six o'clock. He goes out at five o'clock. And he finds some more, and he said, Would you come in and give us the last hour? Penny's the wage. And, and they agree, and they come in. And he goes to hand out the, the, the wages, you see, and, and he gives the penny to the people who have worked all day, and then he gives the penny to the people who have worked the last hour, and the people who have worked all day say, Hold on a minute! That was very lurking, wasn't it? Hold on a minute! That's not very fair. How come he's only worked an hour and he's getting what I got and I've worked for, 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 for many hours? Nine hours! And, and the keeper of the vineyard says, well, we made an agreement, didn't we? You agreed to work for a penny. That's the day's salary. And they agreed. What was Jesus doing? He was messing with their thinking. He was racking the way they think, because they just hadn't got this thing called kingdom. And so when Jesus told stories like that, he was messing with their heads. He was trying to get them to see that, that they'd missed this. They'd missed it in every shape and form. And so when he tells the story of a prodigal son, we read it and we think it's a great wee story to tell our kids. But it's full of theology. He's saying, he, when he tells these Pharisees that a boy Squandered a father's living while he was still alive and went and squandered the whole thing to the point he had to stay with pigs and everything. Pigs? Oh! He should be stoned. You'd never ever receive him back. He couldn't after doing that. Jesus says the father's waiting and watching and, and this son who squandered his whole inheritance and has now lived with pigs. When the father spies him, he hoists his garments up around his midriff, burrs his legs, which a noble man never done. A noble father in a house never would have run. He burrs his legs. He, he, he fires down the road And he falls on this boy and he smothers him with kisses and he puts a ring on his finger and a robe on him and loves him. And the Pharisees are saying, that is the weirdest stuff I've ever heard. They were totally, they just, because you see, Jesus was trying to establish a new way of thinking. And he's, he's been doing it for the last 2,000 years. And some of us still don't get it. We still get into old mindsets. And we still get into the salvation theology where we think we've just got the ticket for heaven. And, and, and we sing songs sometimes. We, those of you who are my age, have been a Christian a long time, will know this. this world is not my home. I'm not just a passenger. I know I'm not a singer. But that's a load of nonsense. You know, I, you, and we, this idea that we've just got our ticket to heaven now and we just coast home. There's a kingdom to build, and God co-partners with us as people. Don't ask me why or how he does it. I know how he does it, but don't ask me why he does it, but he does. He co-partners with his people. He's done it from the garden. He came down in the cool of the day. He walked and he talked with Adam, and he's been looking and seeking that relationship ever since, and under the new kingdom and new theology of that kingdom, we have that, and so we better go to Mark 9. Um, all right. All um, right. In Mark 9, in Mark 9, verse 1, this is what it says. Don't worry if you haven't in your books because it's just a little reading. He says, I can assure you that some of the people standing here will not die before they see God's kingdom come with power. What's he saying? He's saying, these guys have seen the kingdom. They've seen Jesus raise the dead. They've seen miraculous inputs of the kingdom. They'd, they knew what, they, at least they thought they knew, but Jesus is saying, some of you are standing about here and... and And you're not going to see death. You're not going to die until you see this kingdom coming in a a truer way. Then it says six days later, Jesus took Peter, James and John with him. They went up on the high mountain where they could be alone and there in the front of the disciples Jesus was completely changed. All right, And his clothes became much whiter than any bleach on earth could make them. And Moses and Elijah were there talking with them. Peter said to Jesus, Teacher, it is good for us to be here. Let us make a a uh, shelter's one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and Peter and the others were terribly frightened, and he did not know what what he was talking about. <laughs> Interested? Anybody else talk when they're nervous? <laughs> this Peter, Peter's just gabbling now. He doesn't even know what he's talking about. He's just frightened out of his out of his wits. And then it says, a shadow of cloud passed over them, covered them, and from a cloud a voice said, "This is my son, and I love him. Listen to what he says." And once the disciple looked around and saw nobody but Jesus only. This kingdom is now at hand, Jesus said. It has come. It is now here. And this incredible thing that, that we get to be part of is very powerful. And so in this story, we're, we're told a few bits about it in Mark's gospel. And then actually in Luke's gospel, don't, we'll not read it all, but just you see the little bit about Moses and Elijah in the middle, third I am lying down at the end. Moses and Elijah who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure. So Luke actually tells us what they were talking about. Mark doesn't. Mark just says Moses and Elijah appeared with him. But Luke actually tells him they were talking about Jesus' soon departure from planet Earth. That's what they were talking about. Interesting, isn't it? And another little thing that's interesting is Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the only three gospel writers that recorded. John, who was there, (laughs) doesn't record it. Maybe he just couldn't put it into words. It was such an experience. Maybe because he was the disciple. He called himself the disciple that Jesus loved. He was the disciple who laid his head on Jesus' breast when they were relaxing around the fire. And yet in Revelation 1, when Jesus appears in his glorified body, it says he fell at his feet as a dead man. So maybe he just couldn't put this experience into words. And so what happened, um, let's talk through the story a little bit. Um, we're on the mountain with James and John and Peter and um, Jesus is praying and as he does we see him totally transformed a, a cloud appears over us, his face is altered uh, Mark says, the word altered in the Greek is the word other alright, other so one minute it's this and the next second it's this, completely absolutely, utterly different in any shape or form and um, the authorized says that his clothes became shining. The the actual Greek word is flashing. So so let me give you the picture. Here we are with Peter and James and John. We're on the mountain. Jesus is there. He's talking a little bit to us. All of a sudden, in a second, he's changed. He's like nothing we've ever seen. His, his clothes are flashing like lightning. His face is a magnified beauty of glory that we can't even, John can't even put into words. And it's gone from one incredible thing. He's transfigured before him. It's the exact same word. As the word transformed, Strong's tells us this, 3, three, four, four, five. just in case you don't believe me. So the word transfigured and the word transformed are the exact same words. Anybody think of where that word transformed is in the Bible? I'll tell you, it's in Romans, and it's found in Romans 12. And here's what it says, it says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transfigured. Interesting word, isn't it? Be transformed. Same thing that happened Jesus on the mount. Think differently. Be transformed in the way you think by the renewal of your mind. So something about magnifying Jesus and understanding this kingdom starts to become a reality to us and we begin to see that this incredible transformation that took place was a bit like this is where we get our word metamorphosis from. So it's a complete change of form that you couldn't look at like that little butterfly that landed in in inner lapel of my coat this morning—I couldn't think that that weeks ago, maybe it was just one of those creepy crawly caterpillars. Like you couldn't look. We now know a caterpillar becomes a butterfly, but if you didn't know, you couldn't look at a caterpillar with any amount of reason and think that it could go through a, a process to become what's on the right. You just couldn't imagine it. That's that's what happened. This was this wasn't just Jesus's form changing a little bit and saying. Jesus is sort of glowing a little bit there. That, that's not what happened. This was completely, absolutely mind-boggling. That tells you there in the scripture, they were scared out of their wits. This is and what Jesus is doing, he's 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 saying to the member, he said in, in verse one, guys, some of you that are standing about here won't actually taste death till you see the kingdom. This is what he was talking about. Jesus is now God has now lifted the veil a little bit to give them a little expression, a little bit more of what this kingdom looks like in its power and in its unity. Now, what does that mean for us? I'm glad you asked. Um, it's really important that you do ask that because um, the, the thing about this is, I think, I think, why, why the stories in the Bible at all and why the Holy Spirit is inspired to record it is that it gives us a snapshot of what the renewed mind looks like. I think when a person comes to Christ, they should think completely differently. They should think completely different in the world. That's why Paul, when he writes to the church at Philippi, this is what he says, have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then he tells us what Jesus' mind was like. Thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Made himself humble, give himself to death, even the death on the cross. But have this mind. What's Paul saying? He said, think like Jesus thinks. Imagine if, if, when sickness hits your body, that you began to think like Jesus thought. Imagine when you get that that that, that report that your job's going up the swanee that you start thinking. What what, what about whenever that neighbour or that family member really really just cheeses you off? What about if we started to think like Jesus thought? <laughs> Change the world, wouldn't it? If Christians were Christ ones, <laughs> if Christians were Christ like. <laughs> Gandhi said I loved Christ, I just couldn't understand his followers, the Christians. There's something about there's something about Christ-like. There's something about being like Him. And so what is, happen- what is happening here? There's this moment where where Jesus was human and the next moment He's God-like and He's given us a visual picture, I think, of a renewed mind and that's why Paul writes in Colossians 1 and he says, it's Christ in me, which is the hope of glory. Christ in me. Did you get that? Not Christ around me. Not Christ influencing me. It's Christ in me. That is the hope of glory. And so that means if If you're sitting on a seat, then Christ is on that seat because Christ is in you and he's the hope of glory. And I'm going to have to go around there to go up because I've got new jeans and they're too tight to go up that step. So uh, um, I tried it. I tried it earlier and I just went about halfway up. So... Sorry, where was I? So, so it's Christ in you, which is the hope of glory. Christ in you. It's incredible that Christ is in you, the hope of glory. That's why when, when Isaiah writes in Isaiah 61, and he says, arise and shine, not arise and reflect. And sometimes I think we live like a moon. So we, we think we reflect the light of Jesus and then it's a bit like we get our magnifying glass and we try and reflect the light of Jesus in our lives, and we fr- reflect it to others. I heard somebody speak some time ago about how, as as believers, we are like the moon and we get this light, and then we reflect this light. Nonsense! That's not true. He doesn't say arise and reflect. He says arise and shine. It's Christ in you that's the hope of glory. And so we need to start to live as if Christ is in us. We need to start to live like he's in us and he's alive in us and, 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 he, and, he, and he alters the way we think. It's really important that we understand this. Now we need to go really, really quick, all right? And so what happens is we have this mind that doesn't just go on cool ideas. It's a mind that picks up the mind of Christ. It's a mind that picks up the mind of Christ. and starts, so, so you stop living here. You start stop living in this level. And I know many Christians who, who live like they're in a jungle. And they live, their Christian life is like a, in a jungle with a machete. And they're just like trying to wade their way through a jungle. No, 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 what What, what is we, the mind of Christ is lifting yourself out of that mindset and And understanding that according to Ephesians 1, we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. We say, Philip, that's whenever you go to heaven. No, 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 no. That's now. As believers, he has lifted us up. He has seated us with himself in heavenly places. And we begin to live with that mind of Christ. And we begin to see things, we think. And so rather than just wearing it in our arms and saying WWJD, let's start living it in our hearts. What would Jesus do? How would Jesus react to that? Wow, that phone call I got, that email I got, how would Jesus react to that? Rather than just, well, I show them, boom. <laughs> demolish them in three lines. You know, we, we live in the flesh all the time instead of living this kingdom life. And so this incredible thing, that, that um, having this mind of Christ, which is really important. Now you're probably saying, well, Phil, what is the mind of Christ? What is it? I'm glad you asked. All right, it's a good question to ask. Here's the mind of Christ. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. (sighs) That word welfare is the word shalom. It's the greatest word in all the Bible. All right, that word shalom is so, so beautiful. I said earlier, Harry sends me verses sometimes in the morning and encouraging texts and he always finishes it off with the word shalom. I love that word. I love it. There's everything you could want is soda. Here it is. Wholeness of being. Soundness of mind. Divine health. Prosperity of, of emotional, physical and financial blessing. All When you say the word shalom over somebody, that's what you're saying to them. It's an incredible word and so that's the mind of God for you. The mind of God is for your shalom. He is he, he wants everything for you. You have a future, and that's why I said at the moment, if the Lord had one word for you today, it's this. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I, I, I've followed City Bible Church of Frank DiMaggio coming in here in November, but I've followed City Bible Church, Dick Iverson, Frank DiMaggio, and those guys for well over 25 years now, and, and uh, I've loved their teaching, loved their, their view of spirit and truth, and, and um, um, Frank uh, Jack Lowman was one of their pastors over there, and Jack died of motor neurones disease. And Jack was an incredible pastor. He was 65, he took motor neurons disease and died at 67, just lived two years. And and not long before Jack died, he was in the they'd, they'd got him a wheelchair, and in the wheel in this wheelchair, the only thing he could do was move his eyeballs. He'd lost all part of all his body. And he could spell with his eyes, so he'd got this machine and he could look at the letter and spell out a word. And somebody said to him, just Weeks before he died, somebody said to him, Jack, do you still believe in healing? And Jack spelt slowly out with his eyes, and he goes, of course I still believe in healing, but also believe in heaven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> kingdom, you see. This kingdom that we're part of, not not, not going to finish. It's, it's at hand. It's just started. It's just beginning. And, and I haven't seen... And the ear hasn't heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has laid up for those that love him. I remember after Jill died, I've told you this story before, but I remember after Jill died, uh, uh, just, just before, literally just a few weeks before she died, we went to India. And uh, it was the last place we'd been together. We were out with Pastor Jacob and, and we landed in Dubai Airport. And in Dubai Airport, um, we, were, we were just crossing over flights and we had to move from one terminal to another. And if you've ever been in Dubai Airport, it was incredible. It was like millions of people in the place. And of these big walking escalators, you know that because the journeys are so big and, and, and so you go onto these walking escalators and you walk in. And I remember um, one of those moments um, uh, there was this lady in front of us, and uh, older lady, and she was very nervous. I knew she was nervous getting on, and I sort of had to give her a bit of a shove to get her on. And and um, all in love, all in grace and love, very, very sensitive. And uh, and uh, she got onto this moving and walkway, and she was going along. She was really, really nervous, and and. Um, and because there are people everywhere. And, and, and I'm afraid this old woman's just going to get trampled. And when she came to the end of the walkway, she, she did the unforgivable sin. She was afraid to step off it. And she started to step back away from the end. And it was carnage. It was like in a, in a few seconds, it was a pileup of bodies. And people just started to fall over one another. And I got to hit the red button. You know that thing you always wanted to do? I got to hit the, oh, boom, the red button. Stop the thing. And of course, we got this woman... Um, lifted up and from under all these bodies and everybody there was a few scrapes and cuts but everybody was all right and then we come home and Jill died about three weeks later died really suddenly many of you know she died of auto death syndrome so it wasn't sick or anything so it was just in a in a moment her life was taken in a moment 48 years of age and and um, I was devastated I my world I was crushed I was broken and and I remember being up at the big stone in Rust River and lying before God and saying, God, I, I just don't know how to do life anymore. I just don't know how to move on. And, and God began to take me back to that thing that happened in Dubai Airport. And I said, God, what are you trying to say to me? And he said, you know, Phil, in the kingdom, there are no endings. People don't know how to do endings well. <laughs> the old lady in front of me didn't know how to end her, her journey on the escalator. But in life, people don't really know how to do endings well. But in the kingdom, there are no endings, only beginnings. (laughs) And we are part of a kingdom that will never end. This kingdom that we have become part of will go on forever and ever and ever. It is eternal. It is eternal. It is eternal. Why do I believe in eternal security? Because it's eternal. It's beautiful. Now, one wee thing where time's gone, and one wee thing just to, to finish. Um, uh, I don't know where I'm at, but I'll talk to you anyway. Um, Moses and Elijah appeared to Jesus to talk about his departure. Now, I have to ask the question, and I've spoken this before, and I've loved this because I have, I have to ask the question, Why would Jesus, why would God send these two people to talk to Jesus about his death? Interesting, isn't it, that Moses and Elijah are the two people in the scripture that got manhandled by God in his in their demise. It's the only way to put it. There are the two people. Remember, Enoch was taken up in the whirlwind, and then the chariot of the fire went past by, all right, but he got taken up in a whirlwind. And remember Moses, Moses was was led out up into the mountain and said God buried him. So God handled these two men in their demise. And isn't it interesting that God sends two people that he handled in their ending on this earth to talk to Jesus, his son, who was about to give his life for all. Now, I don't want to compare their deaths because Moses and Elijah's death weren't redemptive, but there has to be similarities. There has to be some reason why he sent these two guys. And I think I know the reason. These two guys These two guys governed two realms on earth. Moses was the lawgiver and Elijah was the prophet. All right? He had the the mantle of power. They were the two champions of these two realms, power and authority. And these are the two realms, these are the two realms that Jesus is trying to reinvest into this new kingdom in the New Testament. That's why he said, all authority has been given to me. Now go you. He's delegating the authority to the church. He's delegating the authority to the believer. He came and he fulfilled the law. And he, he's saying, there's something about power. There's something about authority. There's something about this idea that, that we need to grasp as a church and understand. And I have so much more I could teach you on that this morning, but we'll have to keep it to another morning. But there's, so, there's just, this is, get your Bible, study this, figure out why God did this. It is so beautiful when you begin to see it. You see, because we're... Marnie, do you want to come up? We finish with a song. Um, but there's something, just as we, we conclude this, there's something about this kingdom. And here's... here's I love this verse here in Matthew 11:12. 12. It says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. Now, this isn't a bad verse. This isn't, this isn't a bad violence. It's saying, Violent people take it by force. People that have tenacity. People that, when they get knocked down, they get up again. People that, whenever they get knocked down, they dust themselves off, and they get going again. And see this thing about violence, this word violence, people that press in. It's like a tenacity. I, I, I did this in the first service. Hope I don't freak you out. It probably will freak everybody out on live stream. But I feel, I always think, this people, this people that press in are people that go like this. <laughs> people that that's. that's you know what, devil? You're not doing that to me. I am going to see this thing through. I am going to stand before my king one day and I am going to get my well done, good and faithful servant and I am not going to give in to your ploys and your silly little things and all of those things that you send to trip us up. And I'm saying to you this morning as a people, let's live in light of being people who magnify our king and who understand this kingdom that we're part of will never end. It will just, and and I think it'll take eternity and beyond to make us realize just what we're part of. Is it not exciting? Come on, who says church is dull? Come on. This is, this is, this is, this is something to live for. This is something to die for. This is something to go and stand before your king and say, you know what, I give it my best shot. And as much as I want that for me, I want a more for you. I don't want you to be one of those people who buried your talent and said, Well God, I knew you were just and I knew and I, I knew you give me a talent, but I was afraid of doing it wrong, so I just kept it and here's the one give you give me, I'll give it you back. No, 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 no. Let's let's take a few risks. Let's step out. Let's use wisely what God's given us. Let's stand. Let's worship together. Then I'll pray our time is over. I hope you're blessed. I hope you're challenged this morning to to live for him, to magnify him as as only we can do in this day and age. So let's, let's worship. Thanks, morning. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk